This year, as most of you know, our theme is the light of life. And as part of that theme, we're challenging the congregation to really rise up, step out, uh, do some things. Uh, we do a lot of good here amongst ourselves, but we also want to reach out to people we don't know within the community. And we've had a, a couple of opportunities to do even more than that. I, w- I wanted to tell you this morning that uh, when we took up our collection uh, for Harvey, and what we decided to do with that is to send it to the Church of Christ Disaster Relief, and that will be uh, directed both to people in Houston and to, of course, people that are going to be having a lot to go through in Florida. But just so you're aware, we collected right around $10,000. Um, that's so I, I don't say that to brag on us. Again, that's uh, that really is just God letting his light shine through us and use, as Randy said this morning, the tools which are in our hands. So thank you uh, for the good that's going to be able to be done, even if you're not able to be there firsthand. Uh, Northside will be able to, to bring some light to a people with, with a, without a lot of hope, quite honestly, right now. If you've ever been through something like this, uh, it's uh, ter- terribly demoralizing, and you just have to start completely over. And so this is a way that we'll be able to be of some help uh, with people that are directly on site. So thank you for your help in that way. And I uh, just thank you for rising to the occasion again and again and again. Um, here locally, one of the ministries that we've been working with is Simple House. They provide food and clothing and some basic necessities to people in need here in, in Wichita, the poor and some homeless. And uh, you guys have just been, I mean, truly rock stars uh, in terms of the ways in which you've shown your outpouring. I know several people have volunteered. Um, these were the pictures I collected of every time Larry uh, loads up the sleigh and takes up all of the, the donations out there, he sends a little picture to Gloria and I. And that's from August. I mean, that's amazing um, that you guys are continuing to do that and be so faithful with it. Um, and I know that Simple House is greatly thankful and truly blessed to be able to have that continually being poured in because there is a constant need. So thank you to those of you who've been doing that, and we want to encourage you to continue to keep doing that as we go throughout the year. She was a girl with a bit of a chip on her shoulder. Have you ever met this girl? She was mad at the world, and we weren't really sure why, but... We had known her for a long time in the youth group, but but she kept getting colder and angrier and nastier, and we couldn't quite figure out why. So we tried to love her as best as we could and give her space and just figured when God was ready, he'd use us and however he could. Um, that time happened to be that year at teen camp. When, during one of the devotionals that night, uh, this girl who had been so cold and distant, uh, who had had a tremendous chip on her shoulder, came forward and confessed to one of the adult leaders a sin that she had had in her life that she had been hiding for a terribly long time. And it was one of the, the, I don't say I've never heard it before, but 
it was one of those rare times when I heard someone just wail and mourn and weep over her sin. And, and in that moment, you know, it was really between more between her and God. We just happened to be the hands that hugged her and, and held her head while she cried. And we tried to let her know that there wasn't any sin too great for God's love. And that we would be here to help her and walk with her and journey with her through that. Her mood changed. She changed. When she learned that she didn't have to carry all that she had been carrying. You see, she had, she had been a Christian for actually several years by that point. She knew up here that she was forgiven, but she hadn't come face to face to it with it right here. I think there are a lot of us in, in the pews on Sunday mornings who can empathize with this girl. The, the problem is that we hide it better than she did. We knew something was wrong. And some of you, with that's hard to tell. It's hard to know what's way down inside. What's the burden you're carrying that you won't let go? What's the sin that you're still involved in that you can't seem to get loose of? I mean, if I were to take a poll, and I won't, I would guess that a large majority of you have been to a place like this baptistry right here behind me. Do you remember that day? When you, you went down into the water and maybe it was your dad or maybe it was the preacher or maybe it was an elder or maybe it was a family friend and, and, and maybe they sang a song like, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in that moment, especially if you were around this age, you knew it here. But then, but then you got out of the baptistry and you dried off and, and you put on your, your non-church clothes and, and you went back to school or you went back to work and, and, and you thought everything had changed within you, but then everything outside of you had not changed at all. You have those same friends acting those same ways. You have those same temptations right there on the television screen or the movie screen or on the computer. And though everything you wanted to believe had changed in here, you were struggling because so much of the world had not changed. My question to you this morning is, what do you do? How do you handle sin after You've made the plunge when you've been forgiven, when, 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 you've, when, when you've been immersed into Jesus Christ, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then you, then you mess up once or twice. Then you, get, you fall back into old habits, or maybe you get caught like that girl did. What do you do? 
That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to talk about the prayer of confession, which is a a hard subject because so many different groups deal with this differently. Of confessing our sin and talking about the things that we're struggling with to another person. Confession in prayer brings us to our an awareness not only of our sin, but an awareness of our deepest need. The need of Jesus Christ himself. The, the word confession in the Greek, the word is homologia, which if you break that down, it means the same truth. It means effectively when you to confess means to agree with the truth of God. And if we're honest about it, it probably means to agree with the truth that you've been trying to hide from. When we confess in prayer, when we bring our sin to God, we learn some things, not only about ourselves, but we have certainly learned some things about God. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. As we begin talking about that, I want to introduce you to a guy that you already know. You say, why would you introduce me to a guy that I already know? Well, that's the thing. You, you, you think you know him. He was a loudmouth. He was always the one talking the loudest in any conversation. If ever there was a joke told, you could hear his laugh from a block away. If you went up to this group, he would be the first one to respond He'd be the first one to say hello or or the first one to just tell you you were way off base. He got that way because by trade he was a fisherman. He was loud and boisterous and crude. He could command a ship, but he had a lot more trouble commanding himself. And he was bold. And he wasn't afraid to ask questions or speak up. And that was good because there was a rabbi who came by one day to, to meet Peter And to call him to be one of his disciples. We would think it a strange choice, a fairly unknown rabbi, to call a fisherman so loud and boisterous as Peter. Someone who surely to put his foot in his mouth. But Jesus had a lot of things to teach the man who had preached the first gospel sermon ever preached. You see, God was going to take that tongue and those lips and that mouth and that heart that was so untamed. And he was going to put it under his control. And he was going to use that tongue and that mouth and that heart in a way that would bring power and glory and might to his son and to the kingdom. In John chapter 19, if you want to turn there, after... Peter, this loud, crude, boisterous fisherman, has walked with this humble, loving rabbi for three long years. As Peter has spoken up one too many times, as he has said a few things he shouldn't, he's also said a few good things. When they were on that Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was so caught up in it all, he said, let's just stay here. Can we just, can we just build three shelters and just stay here and not leave? You can almost sense the excitement on Peter's tongue. In Matthew chapter 16, don't turn there, but in Matthew 16, Jesus said, who do people say that I am, Peter? 
And he said, some, some say Elijah. Some say the prophet. Some, some, and Peter, and Jesus just stopped him and said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I believe with an unresolved look in his eyes, absolutely staring straight into the eyes of his Savior, he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He would tell Jesus later, he said, if everyone deserts you, I will not desert you. He was ready to, to pull out a sword in the garden. His heart was totally with Jesus. But in John chapter 19, we read of something that happened within that bold, brash, boisterous fisherman named Peter. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. This is verse 15. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty, and there, there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. John records this in verse 18. I think it's, there's a little more than a, a double meaning here. He says, it was cold. And the servants and the officials stood around a fire and they made warm, made to keep warm. Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. As Jesus wasn't, uh, John was not talking about the weather there. He was talking about that same coldness that we saw in that girl. Something had switched. Something had, had taken place inside Peter's heart. It no longer was he with Jesus as boldly and daringly as he used to be. John records that he would not just do that same thing, not just that one time, but a second time and a third time. His very close friend, whom he had walked with and shared memories with and watched Jesus do the miracles. And every time Jesus told a story, Peter was right there and said, Rabbi, tell us what that means. Rabbi, what does this mean? How come we couldn't do this? Why couldn't we drive out that demon? They had been through all of that. And Peter... Almost at a low point here says, I'm not. He denied him. He turned his back on his very good friend on a point when Jesus certainly could have used a very good friend. We'll get back to Peter's story later. As we think about our own story, I want to ask you to think about what happens when we confess to the Lord, when we bring to him our burdens and our troubles and our trials, the first thing that we learn when we confess is that we are humbled by his holiness. We understand, and we talked about in the previous lessons on this, about the prayer of adoration, that when we truly come into God's presence, we have that moment like Elijah did, like Isaiah did, when he realized that he was a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips and heart. That he, he, had no, he did not belong in God's presence. And when we homologia, when we agree with the truth, what we're doing is acknowledging the vast chasm between God and us. We need his holiness to be in his presence. So the problem is we can't get there on our own. Turn to Psalm 51. We, we read of a person in the scripture who had this very same encounter. 
in Psalm 51, the, the psalm is about David's responding to his mess up. You ever messed up? You ever go too far? You ever say the thing you shouldn't have said and wish you could unsay it? You ever do the thing you shouldn't have do, did, done, did and wish you could undo it? Like that moment just right there. I wish I could undo that. You ever wish that? David had a moment just like that too. David. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who writes some of the most beautiful, beloved psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I mean, David is not a man who's unfamiliar with God. And God had exalted him. Even though he didn't look like a king, God saw a king there. And when he became king, he had many opportunities And unfortunately, he took one of them with Bathsheba. And that story is terribly known in David's past, but it was mostly known to him. Have mercy on me, O God, he writes, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot away my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Look what he says here. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, if you just pause and stop for a second and think about this, David had sinned against himself by sinning sexually. He, he had sinned against Uriah by taking and, and his, his Uriah's wife. He had sinned against Bathsheba, caused her a great deal of shame and fear. He had sinned against all Israel because he had brought shame upon his country as the leader of that country. But David understood that the heart of David's sin, as the heart of with all sin... Yes, it may be against other people. Yes, it may hurt other people. Most likely it will. But the heart of the sin is against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. See, David understood at his core that his sin was against God, but he also knew at its core that the remedy for that sin, that the cleansing from that sin would come from the very same place. Oh, how we've tried to wash our sins clean from any other place but God. I've told you before, uh, when I was in youth ministry, I'd watch kids stop attending, and, and they would tell me it was this or that, but I knew something was wrong. And I see it in church, too. I haven't seen these people in months or years, and I know what's happening there. Something's got a hold of their heart. 
And it breaks my heart, but more than that, it breaks God's. David understood that when we get involved with sin and it puts its just grasp around our heart, it will gradually and slowly pull us away. And the only remedy for that is to bring it to God himself. David understood that the cleansing would not come from his any judge, from any other king. It couldn't come from any other place but God himself. We understand God's holiness and we're humbled by it when we confess. Secondly, we see our need of his never-ending mercy. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Confession reminds us that we are in need of God's eternal mercy. And that God's Eternal mercy is unending and infinite. If you think about the nation of Israel, they would, they would get into this sin cycle, right? They would, they would get into sin and they, they would go away from God as sin causes us to do. Then they would suffer. You know, God would bring in some other country to, to punish them and to bring them an awareness that they had wandered from God. So sin led to suffering and then suffering led them to call out. You know, that's the name of this series. And they would call out not so much because they were sinning, but because they were suffering. So, so, so first they start with sin and that leads them to suffering. And then they suffer enough and eventually they cry out and they call out to God for mercy and deliverance. And because of the nature of God, he would forgive them and restore them. And that cycle would repeat over and over and over again. But every single time, the thing that broke the cycle was God's mercy and God's patience with us. The book of Lamentations is generally considered a sad book. Any book you call Lamentations is probably going to be a sad book. Not going to be one that you hear read at, at weddings or anything like that. Um, it's not a, it's not a real, it's not a book that you would read if you're struggling with depression. It is, it's a kind of a downer, okay? But hidden within the gray clouds of the book of Lamentation is a beautiful, beautiful silver lining that I want to bring you to this morning. In fact, what I would like to do is read part of Lamentations chapter 3. And, and if, if I can read the words in white, I'd like you to repeat the words in yellow, okay? Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord... His mercies, they are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, sometimes we sing that song like you all recited that verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love how so many of you are posting pictures of sunsets and sunrises. Most beautiful ones we've seen and they're new every day. We can count on them. 
They're as faithful as their entire lives. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. God's mercies and faithfulness and love is even more faithful than the sunrise. May we not forget it. May we rejoice in it. May we be absolutely awed at his mercy and his grace, which is never ending. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And finally, when we confess our sin, when we bring it to him, we find unfathomable forgiveness. In Psalm chapter 32, the verse that was read for us by Sonny, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Through confession, we see our need of God's holiness, his mercy, and his forgiveness. In short, we see our need of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we practice that? How do we put it into practice, right? You're you're like, yes, I agree with this, but... What difference does it make? How do I change? What, what possible difference can this make in my life? Well, on the subject of confession, there's generally two extremes. At one extreme, there's what I call saturation, the 100% level. That means when you sin, you're supposed to keep track of that sin and go confess it. And they, they have a time of, of specific where you can go to another person And you can go inside a small enclosure and you can say to this person, I've sinned. And after you list all your sins, then that person will say, well, here's what you do. You do these things and then you'll be forgiven. Now, I I don't think that's healthy because, well, first of all, I think it's impossible. I don't think we have the memory to keep track of all of our sins. I mean, I'm on a pretty good roll this morning as uh, selfishness and speeding and, uh, uh, you know, uh, greed and anger. I mean, I'm on a pretty good roll of just my sins. Just we're not even halfway through Sunday. I'm not sure we can even keep an accurate list. And so we make fun of the group that's down here like, oh, that's just that's just workspace. That's just legalism. That's just. But, but can I ask you something? How do you do it? If confession is good and necessary and right and we agree and yell and all those things, can I ask you, when was the last time you confessed any sin toward God? When was the last time that you brought that into the open? You see, this is the other extreme. If that end is saturation, this end is silence. If that's 100%, this is 0%. We don't even worry about keeping a list. We just don't ever worry about confessing, and that's not good either. Because that separates us and gives us the wrong attitude about our sin and how serious it is. One is impossible. The other is certainly not biblical. I think the key here is balance. 
So how do we do it? Quickly, first, you have to start by confessing Christ for salvation. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying confession is all of it. That's not the whole process. But at some point, you have to do what Peter did. You have to say, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And without him, without Jesus, there is no other hope. The scriptures tell us we have to repent from sin, turn away from it, and we have to be immersed for the forgiveness of our sins. But Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, that's not the totality of it, but I'm saying you have to start with letting your faith in Christ be verbalized. That's not a robotic thing. That's not a that's not a, a, a certain way of saying it. But you have to be able to confess what you believe in your heart. And by the way, this confession needs to be ongoing. For most of us, it probably happens something like this. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of the living God? Yes. Now, that's great, but it wasn't intended to stop here. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will also disown before my Father in heaven. Can I ask you this morning, when was the last time you confessed Christ to a neighbor? When was the last time you confessed Christ to a family member? When was the last time you confessed Christ to a coworker? When was the last time you confessed Christ to anyone at school? When was the last time you confessed Christ to anyone? Confession is not just a one and done type deal. It's meant to be something that pours. I remember Jesus said something like the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. So, so if, 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 I, if I go up to Pat Ware and I start talking to Pat about how great the Sooners are, Pat's going to tell me how great the Sooners are. You know why? I thought I'd get an amen in here somewhere, Pat. <laughs> okay, so he, his, but his heart is there, right? You know, and his son is there, and that helps too. <laughs> but his heart is there. When his heart is there, his mouth's going to overflow with that stuff. You want to know what's in a person's heart? Just get them to open their mouth and you'll know exactly where their hearts are. And Jesus said, I want to be in the heart so much so that I'm overflowing out of your mouth. So confess Christ to salvation. That's not just a one and done thing. It's a lifestyle. Okay. Now, the second one, we got to confess sin for healing. John says it like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. James says it this way, Therefore confess your sins to one another, 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I saw it that night at teen camp as I saw a girl mourn her sin and adults and parents that love Jesus just wrap themselves around her and weep with her and say, come on now. Jesus can forgive this if you'll move forward. It was so beautiful. Go back to our story on Peter. Now we're not in John chapter 19. We're in John chapter 21. And the disciples are going back to their old ways. They're out fishing. And a stranger appears on the shore and he says, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And these fishermen start to realize, hey, we've been here before. This seems oddly familiar. Do you remember that time when... And Peter looks out. And just like Peter, look what he does. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. He didn't even wait to bring that boat in. He said, it's Jesus. And he starts swimming over there. And can you imagine the enthusiasm, but also the fear in his heart? Because he's got he's to square up with his rabbi. He's got to square up with his teacher. And so they have breakfast together. And Jesus or Peter thinks everything's cool. And they're eating breakfast and it's good and it's like old times again. And as they're eating, John records this. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said in that sort of awkward way that only Jesus can pull off. Hey, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered. Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus replied and take care of my sheep. And the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I almost imagine that Peter just sighed. And he put his head right in his hands. And as a tough, boisterous, loud-mouthed fisherman all of a sudden had nothing to say. Zomologia. He was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Peter was restored at that moment because Peter understood homologia, because he was talking with logia. 
He was talking with the truth. This morning, I want to, I want to tell you that confession is kind of hard because the Bible says it's important, but it doesn't say how to do it. So for a long time, we've said, if you have any need this morning, together, as we stand and sing, please march down in front of everyone and share your sin. Which goes over about like a lead balloon. Now, some people can do that, and that's fine. But the scripture doesn't tell us that we have to do that. That's just something, we okay, this is a way to do it. But there's lots of ways to do it. There's, there's your small group. We've got those going on right now because in a small group you learn to trust a certain level of people and you begin to open up to them and say, this is the real me. There's the Titus 2 groups where the ladies have these mentors in Christ and, and at some point you begin to trust them and you say, you know what? I'm not doing it right as a mom and I'm, I'm not doing it right as a wife and I feel like I'm just failing on every level. But you're not going to do that with people until you trust them. There's, there's CR, which is a, it's such an amazing thing. Because people come to us. Lane tells me for the new step study, there's like 22 or 23 people that are not Northsiders that are coming to our building. God's bringing them to us. That they're exactly where Peter was. And they're saying, I know I messed up. I know I messed up. I know I need help. I know I need Jesus. And Elaine's like, I can't find people to walk with them. So you can help that way. You, you can help in small groups. You can help in Titus 2. You can help in Celebrate Recovery. You could meet with the shepherd personally. I don't know how it is. I'm just saying you've got to find a way that you have a group of people that you can homologia to. That you can agree with what is true. Not just people who are going to pat you on the back and say that's okay, but people who are going to love you enough to show you what's right. You've got to find a way so you can confess sin for healing. Confessing Christ saves the soul. Confessing sin heals the heart. And that's what we got to call us to understand about confession. May we learn to do that better. Our challenge for this week is, before we get to what we're going to finish up on today, I want you to fast from complaining and negativity. We fasted from food, fasted from media. Um, you may wonder, well, do I, this, this whole fasting thing, I mean, this is, I mean, if you sat back this morning and I said, well, I want you to confast from complaining and negativity. If you sat back and did, well, this is stupid. <laughs> then you may be ideal for this challenge, okay? <laughs> this, this would be really good for you, okay? Um, just try to fill it instead with prayer and gratitude and start with trying to go the rest of the day. See, we're halfway through the day. I preached extra long just for you. So you're halfway through Sunday. See if you can go the rest of Sunday without complaining about one thing and instead filling it with a blessing. Now, this morning, I always offer an invitation. If you're ready, confess that Jesus is Lord to turn away from sin, to repent of it, then you can come down front and we will help you be immersed into Christ to be forgiven of your sin, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I'm guessing most of you have done that. This morning, we're going to have a special also invitation that you can come for. If you're in Christ but you, and you've been forgiven of sin, but you need healing in your heart, I want to, 
welcome you to confess to one of our shepherds this morning. Now, you can do that. There will be a couple of of shepherds down front, as they always are. But we're also going to have shepherds at the back. And if you have something that's been on your heart, that you feel guilty being at church, being in the pew, because you're struggling with something, if you need a shepherd who will love you and help you to confess before God and to be forgiven and to be healed, come to the front. And if you come to the front's not your thing, go to the back. But don't let another Sunday pass without confessing the name of Jesus and without confessing the sin that's holding you down. Whatever need you have this morning, please bring it as together we stand and sing.